Right on. Go ahead and have a seat, you guys. Um, we're going to set up, I brought some very, very high-tech props with me this morning. So this is what they call in pastoral ministry, uh, stalling, okay? So um, first and foremost, uh, who's watching the Super Bowl today? Any, yeah, okay, uh, let's see where our allegiance lies, okay? Uh, Eagles fans, make some noise. You can clap for the Eagles. Uh, Chiefs fans, we got Chiefs fans here. Not so much, I don't know. Any Jalen fans who wants to see Jalen get his first Super Bowl? Okay, any Mahomes fans who's just ready for him to have a great career and not be as good as Tom Brady? Uh, what else do we got? Uh, any Andy Reid fans? Uh, that's my connection to the game. That big boy with his mustache, I can't say enough good things about Andy Reid. And we're set up, and so we're doing it. We're good, we're ready. We're going to roll. Okay, so the series... It's called Help. I want to talk to you about the series and why we're doing it and how we're doing it and what we're actually doing. One thing I want to say over and over and over again in this series is it's okay for you to not be okay. We are a grace church. We are a saved by Jesus church. We want to be a church where it's okay for you to not be okay. And so that way the real you can connect to the real God and you find what it is you real, really need. But the other thing with it is it's not okay for you to stay not okay. God's purposes for your life are too big. His love for you is too great for you to settle for something less than what he made you for. And so through the help series, we've been all over the place just tackling the big life things that ensnare us, um, that cause us to settle, the things that we can't shake on our own. Last week was incredible. We had uh, Pastor Tim Scott here, and he's a mentor and friend of mine, and he did this incredible talk on overcoming anxiety and depression by the power of God. It was so cool, and I challenge you to get back on YouTube and check that out if you missed it. Next week, we're talking about how to overcome sin, and we're just taking a raw and real look at how to overcome the sins that, that, that entangle us and ensnare us. How do we actually walk in victory from sin patterns that we haven't been able to break on our own strength? And then today, we're talking in relationships and we're talking marriage we're talking uh, dating we're talking engagement and as we get into that I just want to share something the longer I do pastoral ministry the more I understand talking relationships marriage and dating is not as easy as it seems okay so yes it's something we want to talk about yes it's something that God designed but yes I understand when I start saying hey your marriage is your marriage that in a room this size, there are people with all kinds of wounds and scars and the one that got away and the thing that didn't turn out how you want. And I just want to tell you today, I get that. And the cool thing about this talk that we're going to do, I'm going to pray and we're going to get into it. Uh, the cool thing about this talk is this works on any relationship in your life. What we're doing in the Bible is just so spot on. I'm telling you, you have a work relationship. You have people reporting to you. You have stuff going on. Um, you got a dating relationship. It just works with your relationship with kids, family, anybody in between. Um, so there's something for everyone today. I'm going to pray that God shapes us through his word, and then we're going to get after it. So let's pray together. God and Father, I just ask that today as we dive into your word, it's, it is not me. Um, nobody needs a word from me today, God. Together, we need a word from you. And so I'm asking that you would just fill this space. Um, that you would just uh, be in the room with us, teaching us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
amen. I was about 14 years old uh, in a galaxy far, far away. They call it the Midwest. And in the Midwest, there's this crazy thing. You open your front door and there is sprawling green grass as far as you can see. And there's these weird things there. They call it a front yard. And, and, and here's the wildest thing about these front yards. You go out there with, with this gas-powered device called a lawnmower, and you mow your own front yard. Okay, this is insane. I know it's a stretch, but you're going to have to imagine the you know, sprawling suburban Midwest life and, and a gather sign on the door and, and live, laugh, love above the kitchen and all the middle class fancy you could ever imagine. And I'm probably about 13 or 14 years old and I'm mowing the lawn. And we had this mower, we had just gotten it. I did all the mowing. I mowed my grandma's yard every day, like every week and my parents' yard all the time. And so I was pumped because we finally got a self-propelled lawn mower um, from Craftsman. Thank you, Bob Vila. And you could push this lever and the, the wheels just start spinning and it pulls it across the yard for you. And, and I was mowing and, and I didn't know my dad was watching. He was standing in the door watching and, and, and I was there. And, and when you're mowing the lawn, there's, there's stuff can get in the way, okay? It's not that, you know, somebody leaves a, a Fritos bag or something out in the yard. And, and I remember this time, there was this piece of Kleenex. It was like this large tissue in the, in the way of where I was going to mow. And I see it, you know, you're making the nice little pattern. And I'm coming to where the tissue is, and I'm 13, 14 years old. And I'm like, I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I'm trying to finish this job. I'm trying to get to where I want to go. I'm trying to get through with this. So I just imagine, I'm like, you know what? Here's what's going to happen. I'm just going to run right over the tissue. It's just going to get absorbed in the mower. And, you know, the magic mower fairies are just going to tuck it away in the corner of the mower. And there's going to be no issues. And then I'll just go, and I'll come, and we'll go. And so I got the tissue. <laughs> I'm going towards the tissue, and I'm like, all right, magic mower fairies, you got me. And, and nothing bad's going to happen. I'm just trying to get this job done. And I'm literally, I think it was down by the sidewalk. So it was like one of the last paths of mowing I had to do. So I go over the tissue, and it literally, just like in the cartoon, you hear this, and then it evaporates this tissue into a thousand pieces, blows them out the side like confetti cannon style, and it just litters the yard. And I'm like, oh! And I mean, it's literally like 20 minutes of just, you know, like chopsticks, like there's no, you can't rake it. It's just, I'm here and I'm so mad. And then my dad comes running out and, and like, you guys have met my dad. He's like here sometimes and you know him and, and he's been a great dad. He was a present dad. But the funny thing about my dad and I is like, we never had that like, Andy Griffith and Opie, you know, relationship where there's a life lesson at the end of the story, every, or Carl and Eddie Winslow, and it's like, wow, Dad, I guess it was there all... We didn't do that a lot, you know? And so, and so it was so bizarre because on this day, in this moment, he couldn't handle it anymore, and his father's heart just had to seize this teachable moment, and he comes running out, like running, like, you know, the dad runs, and he goes, Matt, no, 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 Matt, stop what you're doing. I'm like, I'm just mad. And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, no, no. Remember this. I'm like, remember what? He's like, the tissue. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, this is just like life. He goes, there's going to be times when you can take the easy road. You can do the easy thing. You may think you're going to get through it all quicker. But when you cut corners, you always end up with a bigger mess on your hand. And he goes, 
If you would have taken the two seconds to stop the mower, grab the tissue, put it in your pocket, and keep going, you'd be done by now. And he goes, so in life, in your future, when you get down there, when things happen, if you can just stop and choose to do things the right way, it'll ultimately be so much better for you. The music plays, like puts his arm around me, and there's a twinkle on my tooth, you know what I mean? The roll credits. And I was like, okay. And then he just went back in and like we had the rest of our Thursday. And the craziest, there's two crazy things about that. Number one, I've remembered that forever. Like you're going to remember that forever. Like the next time you're going to have a situation, like that's going to be with you. It's really sticky for some reason. And the second funny thing is about that is it's dead on. It has gotten me to where I am today. That is such good advice. If you can just stop and make that choice, if you can stop when you just want to get done, you can stop when you want to plow through something and do it the right way, it'll come back to bless you. And I tell you that to tell you this. Today in our text, in our sermon, in our study, we're going to come down. It's all going to boil to this one choice you can make in your relationships. It is one single choice you can make in your relationships. And just like the principle of the tissue and the lawnmower, if you can make this choice, if you can stop and train yourself to make this choice over and over and over again, this will come back to bless you. This will cause your relationship to be a source of strength and stability, not chaos. This is the choice you can make that could turn your relationship into one that's life-giving and thriving and passionate and flourishing and ultimately, and just like the principle, it can keep you. If you can stop and make this choice, it could save you so many future potential messes. And it comes from God's Word and we're actually going to dive into a part of God's Word that you might be familiar with if, if, if you've ever been to a wedding where two Christians get married or you happen to like Hallmark stores. I'm guessing you've probably heard this verse before. The verse is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you want to turn there in the Bible, if you want to meet me there, if you want to get the phone out for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll tell you about Corinthians really quick. If you think this church is messed up, you should stop and read 1 Corinthians. It is the most screwed up bunch of people. It tells me that there is hope for people like me and you. These folks had it all twisted, all backwards. If you're wondering, what's in 1 Corinthians? It, it is literally Paul going issue by issue by issue and going, hey, yeah, you guys, do this. You can't do this anymore. Hey, getting drunk at communion, you can't do that anymore. Hey, you, Bob, and he calls them all by name. It is so messed up. Paul never hesitates to put someone on blast. He's like, Larry over there is married to his sister, and it's making Jesus look bad. Like, I'm serious. And then they were so messed up, he had to write a second letter. There's first and second Corinthians because they were just these screwed up, imperfect people and they had all kinds of issues. And so Paul, you can almost feel it in the letter. He, he's going issue by issue and behavior modification by behavior modification and he can't take it anymore. And, and so he just goes, you guys, you guys, you have forgot, like, just stop. Like, it is about love. It is about the fact that God loved you so much. He sent his one and only son to die a death that you deserve so you could live. And he goes, you guys, you're supposed to take that love and shine it in the world around you. And then he gets into 13 and almost poetically, uh, I'm in chapter 13, verse 4. He just stops and, and he gives us, here's coming our relationship advice. He says, you guys, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it is not proud. 
Now we're going to go through this. I'm just telling you where we're going. We're going to get to one of these that doesn't really work because any one of these could be our relationship talk today, right? Like love is patient. Yeah, check. I'm in. Kind. Yep, you got to be kind. Uh, you don't want to be envious. You don't want to be a couple that's in competition with one another. Uh, you don't want to be proud because who wants to be proud? That's not going to make a good relationship. He goes on in verse 5 and I'm like, check, okay? It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I'm tracking, all right, this is, I'm with you. You don't want to dishonor somebody. You don't want to be selfish. And, and it keeps no track of, or it keeps no record of right and wrongs. Like, duh, like some of you grew up in a house and there was a family and like, and, and your parents would argue. And then all of a sudden they're, they got these, like they're arguing. And then he goes, well, last week you did this. And then your mom went and she had this file cabinet and the drawer comes out and she pulls this thing out. And she's like, oh yeah, well, three years ago you were in, and, and you guys never do that in your relationships. So that's not important. We'll just keep moving because it keeps no track record of right and wrongs. And then verse 6, I'm tracking, okay? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I'm tracking. You've got to have honesty in a good relationship. You've got to be good to one another and kind. But then watch this. Verse 7, he's going to say four more. And one of these things is not like the others. Go to verse 7 for me. He says, it, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And then to that I say, Paul, you lost me at always trusts. To that in my mental dialogue, I'm going, wait, Paul, 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 Paul. Uh, we were doing so well, I get to love this, I get to love that, but all, come on, dude, always trust, like, isn't that like what codependent people do? Or isn't that what happens when somebody's so infatuated with this new relationship and they've got this new person, but they're like totally blind to all the red flags and baggage. And some of you had to do that before. You grab that friend and you're like, you cannot be with her anymore. Like, and then you just, they didn't listen to you and they just kept trusting and assuming this person was great. And I'm like, isn't this like, I, I love, I love my kids. But I don't always trust them. Here's a, go to the next one for me. If some of you grew up on King James Version or NASB, uh, when it says always trust, they, they, they say love believes all things. I love my kids, but I don't believe half of what they tell me. My oldest, okay, don't tell her I told you this. Like they're getting, they're getting sick of being in sermons, okay? This is just, just between us, all right? Uh, uh, our oldest, Lucy, she is just, she, we named her Lucy because it means light, and that's what she is. She's the, she's the smartest one. Like, something, if something happens to me and Britt, like, we're betting on her. Like, she's the backup plan, okay? And she's just fun and creative and helpful and kind. And the other day, the other day, they're all into Pokemon cards, and everything's Pokemon. They're trading Pokemon. They're Pokemon around the neighborhood, this, that, and the other Pokemon, and uh, they trade with each other, and, and they call a bad trade a scam, and they all know not to get scammed, and, and Lucy, the other day, she goes, Dad, you're never going to believe this. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I found this new way to scam Bear. I'm like, what? She goes, she even named it. She goes, I call it Milking Bear. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, if I ever detect all that he's into a Pokemon card that I have. I just wait. I'm like, what? And she goes, I just know. I, I, it usually takes three days, but then he'll offer me more. 
and it'll offer me more. It, it'll burn up his little mind so bad. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, it'll burn up his little mind so bad. He'll even give me his real money from grandma and grandpa for a card. I was like, you wicked and sinful child. What's the matter with you? Love always trusts. I got a Ronald Reagan trust for my, I trust, but verify, right? And, and so we don't do that. I go, Paul, what are, you, what, what are we doing with this thing, man? Like, what? No. And, and so I, I, I literally, I wanted to get to the bottom of this. And, and, and I looked all around, like, and, and studied it, learned it, listened to sermons on it. And wouldn't you know it, the greatest of all time, Mr. Andy Stanley, I'm telling you, this is me telling you, I stole this from him. But it finally makes sense to me. And I want to share this with you today, with you today okay? So this always trust thing. Is the tablecloth straight? I know my OCD brothers and sisters are going to have a hard time if it's off to the side. Are we good? Somebody give me a, some, no, which, which side? Help me out. Hang on. If I just leave it like this, would this, <laughs> somebody just left the church. They're like, no, no, I can't do this anymore, Pastor. Okay. 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 So this is not for me. This is, this is going to be a game changer though. Okay. So what he explains is in every single relationship ever, you can put it on the screen here, there is going to be a gap between expectation and reality. Expectation and reality. Every single relationship, uh, parenting relationships, coworker relationships, um, romantic relationships, every single time you will eventually get to a place where there is a gap between expectation and reality. This is what time you said you would be home. This is what time you actually got home. This is how long you said it would take to play a round of golf. This is how long it actually took to play golf. This is when dinner was going to be ready. Then we didn't end up having any dinner that night. This is when you said you did the thing, and this is what you did. This is our budget for the month, and this is what you spent on candles, okay? Did I get everybody? Did I get everybody? We're all here. And there is going to be a gap in between expectation and reality. Now, now here comes the thing. Here comes the thing. In this gap, we make a choice. In this gap, we make a choice. We make a choice to either assume the worst or believe the best. When there is a gap between expectation and reality, you either assume the worst or believe the best. I'll show you how it works, okay? Hey, don't worry. Uh, you just go, you stay, and I got things here, and we'll have dinner later, and this is what we're having tonight. And then it wasn't ready, and you have a choice to make right there. This is the problem with you. You're never consistent. I'm doing so much, and I need your help, and how come? And here's the thing. The choice you make in this gap will shape the entire culture of your relationship. The choice you make in the gap between expectation and reality will shape everything. You can either assume the worst, okay? This is when you said you were going to be home. You're not home. That's the problem. I'm the only one who does work around here. I'm the only one who cares, and you're the one who doesn't, and that's the problem with you. Or you can believe the best. You could see that same gap, and you could make a choice. 
All of a sudden, they're not home when they said they'd be, and you could go, you know what? I bet they're doing something so important right now. I want to make sure that I'm a calm presence when they get home. You could go, hey, we were supposed to be there like 15 minutes ago and you're not even ready yet. And How come you always do that? You don't respect my time. You don't care about when we need to be places. That's my word. Every time you make a slate, you're breaking my word. Or, dang, she cares so much about looking good for me. She's up there just getting it right. It's a choice. It's a choice. And my question is, in your relationships, which way do you go? When they're not there, when they said they'd be, if the thing doesn't go how you hoped it was going to go, where do you go? Do you assume the worst, or do you believe the best? Because this is what will shape the whole culture of your relationships. It is how you handle this gap that will shape the culture in your home. This gap is coming. Sometimes it'll be big issues and involve finances and your sense of security and your security in one another. It could be small things like when you send a perfectly curated group of Instagram reels that are hand-tailored to your wife's sense of humor and you look at her phone nine days later and she hasn't even looked at any of them. That could be anybody. Uh, but, but here's what I want you to see. In the gap, we have a choice to make. When there's a gap between what we expect and what we see, there's a choice to make. And this is what Paul meant when he said love always trusts. This is what Paul was talking about when he said love believes all things. He was saying the love that God has given us, the love that we're called to reflect to one another in our relationships is a love that believes the best. And this choice, it could change everything. And some of you, I get it, you're arguing me, with me in your head right now, and you're going, well, you don't understand, like, they did this all the time, and there's a history of this. We did the talk, we worked it out, like, we sat there, we had somebody, we did the counseling, and she's still doing the thing that she never said she did, and, and, and how do you expect me to even get to peace, and if I just keep doing this, I'm going to be taken advantage of, it. and you don't understand them, Matt, you don't understand them. I would tell you this, maybe I don't but I'm not asking you about them. I'm asking you which choice you make when there's a gap between expectation and reality. This is so powerful. There's this book from Marcus Buckingham. He did Strength Finder. Some of you probably did Strength Finder in your workplace. And that's you take a quiz and they give you your top five strengths and you're supposed to do those in your, you know, wherever you go, you're supposed to do the Strength Finder. And, and I'm going to go back here and get my notes because there's some cool quotes from this book. But in, in addition to Strength Finder, he wrote this other book. And the other book uh, is called The One Thing You Need to Know. And so his theory in this book, it's a really cool book actually. Uh, his theory in this book is in every endeavor, every ambition, everything you could ever set your mind to, there's just one thing you need to know. 
So, so if you're golfing, if you just master this one part of golf, you'll be a pretty good golfer. If you're a leader and you master this one part of leadership, you'll be a pretty good leader. If you're, you know, whatever, you'll be a pretty good at whatever. If you drive tanks, you know, there's one thing you need. In anything you do, there's this one thing you need to know. And if you know the one thing, everything goes well. So anyways, in his research, he's a very uh, intellectual, kind of like a, kind of like a Malcolm Gladwell or Jim Collins kind of guy. And uh, he, he cites this whole study in his book, and it's, as, it's part of how he's talking about relationships. And, and so almost like 10 pages, they talk all about this study. And the study, they, they, they studied happy couples, not like we're sticking it out for the kids couples or like get me out of here couples or let's just bite our cheek and get through this couples, but like actual happy couples who are in great relationships, who, you know, just hanging out 90s, 90 years old, enjoying each other's company at 4 p.m. at Denny's, like that kind of happy couple. And there were thousands of them in this book and they, the researchers went into this study uh, and they were trying to understand what's the one thing that makes for a happy couple. And, and so it's so funny, they go, their, their hypothesis was that they went into the study and they looked at all the couples that are happy and they go, oh, we bet we know what it is. We, we bet we know what it is. They thought an accurate assessment of the partner's strengths and weaknesses is what makes for a happy couple. Like an accurate assessment of your partner's strength and weaknesses is what makes you happy as a couple, which is researcher talk for they just lowered their expectations over time. Like that's what they mean. Like they, they, they went into the study and they go, oh, I bet we know what it is. These, these people, these couples, these folks have been with each other so long. They know what each other are good at. They know what each other are bad at. And, and so they kind of just adapted to one another. And now they understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. And they're just kind of cool together. And it's all OK together and that sort of thing. And, and so the couples, they lower their standards. And then everything's OK. Here's a crazy thing. They go into that, thinking about the study. They talk to thousands of couples who are actually happy. And here's what they find they find the exact opposite thing is true. The language they use is this. The happy couples actually had unrealistic, hyper-positive views of one another. Meaning, he thought better things about her than she thought about herself. She thought better things about him than he thought about himself. They actually like scored attributes and like, hey, rate your partner on a scale of one to 10 and how kind are they, loving, are they communicative, are they, you know, this, that, and the other, are they? And on the happy couples, the craziest thing happened on these tests. She scored him higher than he scored himself. He scored her higher than she scored herself. They were believing the best. And, and then they write this quote from the book says, the spouse's positive illusion created an upward spiral of love. The illusion created a conviction that they really were this way. The conviction created security. Security fostered intimacy and intimacy fostered love. It, it, it looks like this. They were so blind to one another. They were so generous in their explanation to one another. They, they were like almost like, you know, in this illusion about who their partner really was. And, and they believed it for so long, they actually became convicted that this is how great that their partner really is. And so they, in a way, like love really is blind. And the conviction led to security and strength in the relationship. The security in the relationship brought them closer and intimacy and the intimacy 
foster love. This is this spiral effect of believing the best. It's scientific research that shows believing the best actually makes you a better couple. And so they go, well, what do we do with it? Like, how do we take all this information and, and tell people what to do with it? Here, here was the takeaway. They said, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. So in other words, when you get to that gap uh, between expectation and reality, you just come up with the most generous explanation for that gap and decide that you're gonna believe it. It, it sounds like this, you know what? She's not impatient, she's just passionate. He's not insensitive, he's just focused. He's not loud, he just cares. She's not ignoring your nice Instagram reel. She's just got a lot going on and she cares so much about your family that she's just working the plan. You find the most generous explanation for that gap. You find a way to believe the best and then you believe the best. So here's my question for you. Which way do you go with this? Is it assuming the worst? When you experience that gap, your needs aren't met, something didn't go according to plan, or do you choose to believe the best? And when you get this and you walk it back into that verse in context, it changes everything. If we go back to verse 7, love, believing the best, coming up with the most generous explanation for their behavior and believing it, it, it changes everything. It protects your relationship. Because we all know the opposite of an upward spiral of love is a downward spiral of bitterness. And when you make that choice over and over and over again, when you choose to believe the best, you are protecting the integrity of the relationship. Um, love always trust. Isn't this what trust is? Like when you're out there and I can't see you and I don't know what's happening, my mind doesn't immediately turn negative and assume that something bad is happening or you're out there trying to double cross me because I trust that you've got my back. Love always hopes. When I believe the best, I inject hope in my relationship. Because if you watch, and I know this unfortunately because I've been here, in a relationship where you get spun out of control assuming the worst, both people are in a relationship where they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're always worried about what's coming. You get stuck in traffic and you're worried about what you're gonna hear when you get home. Oh, there was an unexpected bill and everybody starts pointing fingers and you live in this tension. There's no hope there. But when I believe the best, I have a relationship that is marked with hope. We're going to be okay. There's a good answer out there somewhere. I just haven't heard it yet. And it creates a relationship. Again, marriage, engagement, dating, children, friends, coworkers. When I believe the best, it preserves 
the quality of the relationship. And so I'll tell you three quick ones and then we're out of here, okay? On to the Super Bowl. Here, here, here's what it is. Here's what you need to know. What you look for, you find. If you're looking for opportunities to assume the worst, oh, you'll find them. But if you're looking for opportunities to believe the best, you're going to find those too. Do you guys remember these magic guy posters from back in the day? Like, you just stare at the center of the guys playing football. Like, whatever that was, you know, and like, and I don't know if you can actually get this one, but the principle of the magic eye poster is you sit there and you stare at it and you let your eyes go a little lazy, and then all of a sudden there's this image that's generated into the image and you actually see the image in 3D. Okay, um, the magic eye poster is a perfect example of what you look for, you find. If you sit down in front of one of these in real life and you stare at it looking for that image long enough, guess what? You're going to find what you've been looking for. Can I tell you something about your relationship? What you look for in your relationship, you're going to find... Hey, go back to the look for you. They're all looking at the poster, okay? Like, there's nothing there. What you look for, you find. What you look for, you find, like, when, when I look for opportunities for how you're wronging me, I look for opportunities for how you're doing me wrong, I'm going to find those. But if I look for generous examples of how you have my back and how you're there for me, and I assume that there's a good and reasonable explanation for who you are and what you're doing, guess what? I'm going to find those too. And that choice will shape the culture of your relationship. This, is, this matters especially because here, here's what we know about people, right? People become what we see in them. Those of you who are parents understand this perfectly. Your children will become what you see and call out in them. I did 15 years of youth ministry. I learned the most powerful thing you can say to a young man is you have what it takes. And if you tell a man, young man you have what it takes long enough, when that time comes, eventually he will in fact believe he has what it takes. People become what we see in them and call out of them. That's why Jesus, if you just follow Jesus around for a few days, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by God. And I tell you, Simon, your name Simon, but from now on we're calling you Peter because that means rock, and you're the kind of rock that I'm going to build my entire church on. And what happened with Peter? He became that. When the centurion comes to Jesus desperate and he goes, listen, I understand how authority works. I tell soldiers what to do. You tell illness what to do. You don't even need to go to my house. Just say the word and my daughter's going to be healed. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, everyone, look at this. I've never seen faith like this before. And you could debate what was more meaningful, the healing or the way that Jesus just spoke vision into this man's life. Can I tell you something? When you believe the best, you are creating a vision for those around you to live into. And guess what? People become what we call them or what we see in them. So which way do you go? Do you assume the worst? Or do you believe the best? The second thing is this. When, when you get this, it breathes margin into your relationship. Young couples, have you guys learned that you can't change them yet? Older couples, do you guys want to let them in on the secret? Should we tell them? Should we tell them? Hey, guess what? You can't change them. 
It's not going to work. I've seen the end of that movie before, and it doesn't end with them changing. And it's crazy because when I'm assuming the worst and when I'm on somebody and I'm, hey, you should have been here and that's the problem with you and you said you'd be home and you said it'd be done and you said we had enough money and we got to the end there wasn't enough money and I thought you were paying it. No, I thought you were paying it. When you get swept into that cycle of assuming the worst, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? It's devastating for intimacy. And here's why. Believe it or not. I don't care how bad your relationship has gotten. I don't care how good it's going. I'll tell you, in every relationship, they are terrified of letting you down. The last thing they want to do is be disappointing to you. And the reason assuming the worst is so dangerous is because when I assume the worst, what I really communicate to you is no matter what you do and how hard you try, you're not enough. And that environment never creates intimacy and love. Why? Because it creates fear. And fear and love are magnetic opposites. They cannot coexist. But when I believe the best, I create an environment marked by safety and security. I mean, could you, could you imagine being on the 14th hole and the three groups in front of you have been super slow, you've been out there five hours, and you pick up the phone and you go, Guys, give me some, hey, uh, hey, it's like 90 more minutes, and I, I know, I, like, we'll, I'll call, we'll grub hug, and then, it's okay. No, 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 like, it's going to be a minute, like, we thought we'd be done. No, no, it's, it's fine. Wait, what? Yeah, 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 you're, you're good, take your time. Hey, um... I actually thought you paid the credit card bill last month and balance is like a little more than I thought last week and it's getting out of control and honestly I just figured I would call you like here's the deal I could work a few more hours uh, we could figure it out like we're definitely not running the heat this month okay so could you yeah no problem what yeah it's, it's fine I'm sure we'll figure it out It breathes safety and security into the relationship. And can I tell you something? You know that thing that you really want them to change? Do you know what they need to actually change it? They need space, they need margin, and they need unconditional love. That's where it happens. Last one, Ben, you guys can come up and we'll, we'll wrap on this, okay? This is number three. Your love for your spouse is made. This is the most important point. Your love for your spouse is made to model God's love for the world. 
Your love for your spouse is made to model God's love for the world. Believe it or not, marriage does not exist to make you happy. It exists to make you holy. God's divine design for marriage as a whole. The whole thing is to be a reflection of his love for us. There's supposed to be something about the way you love one another that resembles the way that God loved us through Christ. There's supposed to be a part of your connection that just kind of shines. There's supposed to be people who see the way you love him and, and you love her, and they're supposed to look at that and go, where did they get that from? Maybe there's something to this whole Jesus person that they follow. Our love is made to model God's love for the world. How did, how did God love us through Christ? 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was reconciling, that's like winning back, loving back. He was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. What? Not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed us to the message of reconciliation. He's committed us to go and do likewise. That time that you made it all about you, you chose self over service, you made the mess, there was no one to blame but you, how did God love you in light of that? He believed the best through Jesus Christ. God chose not to hold your feet to the fire. He chose not to grill you for the thing you did. His love was too great, the power of Christ on the cross too big, and instead he made a way to forgive. Can I tell you something? When you believe the best, you're loving like Christ. When you believe the best, in that moment, you are blurring the line between heaven and earth. And something powerful and supernatural is unlocked in your relationship. It takes this big, powerful word we call gospel, and it makes it real right where it matters most. And it's a choice. That's my heart. My hope, they're like, hey, get this if you get nothing else. Is that this week, you start making that choice. I believe you make a habit of that, and you'll see what God has said. Marriage is good. Relationship and human connection is what we were made for. And hope is in fact found in our holiness. So let me pray. We'll wrap with one more song.